All right. Uh, we are diving in today to a new series of messages that, as you can see, is called Come Together. And uh, one of the things that uh, I'm kind of really thinking about a lot and I think is a really important theme for us to think about is this idea of loneliness and isolation. Uh, that's a thing that we kind of see continually appearing, I think, a lot uh, when we think about problems our world is facing and different kind of things that our world is struggling with and that people are going through. That's kind of a continual theme. Um, our society is already kind of moving in that direction uh, before COVID and then after COVID started. Uh, you can only kind of stand in your house and look at the walls around you for so long before you're kind of like, man, I really miss people right now, you know? Um, I don't know if you guys can remember like the first time when you actually like hung out with people like post-pandemic and that was like, uh, oh wow, yeah, I never knew their annoying habits would be so missed, you know, or something like that while you were kind of, you know, away from people. But that's kind of a thing that uh, I know that a lot of us have been walking through in the past couple of years is just kind of how, you know, how we do life, uh, you know, how, how can we do life together, especially in a time when maybe it's harder for us uh, to be together than it would be in times previous for us. And so um, I want to talk about just basically over the next three weeks, myself, uh, we have a guy named John who's going to be here next week, uh, talking about just different ways in which we can kind of take a step uh, in order to be able to form relationships and connections that are more meaningful, that are more helpful, and uh, hopefully make our lives better. Uh, all of us here, we can probably think of a time in our lives when we felt super isolated. Um, so think about, you know, if you could just kind of, you know, this is a really happy thought, but think about the time in your life when you were most alone, you know, that kind of thing. Um, one of the times for me when that happened uh, was when I was in college, my junior year of college, I went to Bible college, and so one of the things they do at Bible college is like everyone gets married by, you know, the time you're 19, basically, essentially. Uh, and so when I was in a junior in college, I was like 20 or 21, and uh, all of my friends were like, I had actually a couple of friends that were married. Uh, I had several friends who were engaged. Uh, I had many more friends who were like in serious relationships where they'd been seeing someone for like over a year easily at this point and were moving in the marriage direction. Meanwhile, I was here being like, you know, man, I'm just kind of doing my, you know, it's me and LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers at home, you know, like that, like that's what my life is all about. It's me and my Xbox, you know, or whatever it was I was doing. And uh, I, I just felt super isolated and alone. I was a really hard person to be around in that season because I would always remind people that I felt isolated and alone. I was a really bitter person. So I was really, you know, I'm sure people left my presence being like, man, that was so refreshing, Wes, thank you. Um, but I remember very specifically our school did this like, I don't know how to describe it other than like someone apparently in our like student council office or whatever in college was like, you know what we need? We need adult prom. That's what, that's what the world needs more of is adult prom. And so they did like this winter formal event and this, it was like, you know, basically prom for like 20 year olds essentially. And they did this event. And uh, it was like, you know, you had this nice dinner and they had a comedian, I think, was like the entertainment that night. And I sat in this table. And of course, at the table I sat with, everyone at the table I was with was like married and get, you know, like all this kind of stuff. It was all the kind of people that are basically reminding me of like, Wes, you're alone in the world and you'll always be alone in the world kind of feeling, you know. 
And so after two or three hours, I just couldn't take it any longer. And so I just like walked outside in the cold Cincinnati, Ohio, January night, which also uh, we're all going to pray for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. To, we're going to lift up the Bengals in the Super Bowl because it's like the one, it's the one sports thing I've had to get excited about in like five years. Um, and so <laughs> 50 years as a Cincinnati sports fan. Um, and so anyway, that's just a side note for you. Um, anyway. I'm like standing here on the street corner outside of this like little banquet hall place or whatever where the event was. I'm like yelling at God, like, God, I'm so angry right now. You know, I'm sure cars are driving by. Like, what is this guy doing at like 10, 1030 p.m. on a random street corner in suburban Cincinnati, you know, yelling at the sky, you know, like, like a crazy person? Because that's why I was because isolation, frankly, kind of makes us crazy, doesn't it? it? It makes us feel alone. It makes us, it's just I mean, it's just hard. OK. When I think about seasons in my life, they were hardest seasons. The two that immediately come to mind for me uh, were out of college when I moved to Chicago for my first job uh, to a place where I didn't really know anyone and have any connection. And five years ago, when my wife and I moved here for this job, because again, we didn't know anyone, didn't really have any connection, right? And what made those so difficult and so challenging? Well, what made it so difficult and so challenging was the fact that, hey, I was isolated, I was alone, I didn't know anyone, you know, and, and that's really hard on us because we weren't designed uh, to live alone. God designed our relationships to be the stuff of life. Um, it's true that when we walk through life, isn't it true that, like, your life, like, can stink financially, you know, work, school, whatever can be really bad, uh, whatever it is, like, your life can be messed up on a number of different ways, but if you feel like my relationships are good, I feel like I'm good, right? Or at least I have hope that things are going to get better. And vice versa, when my relationships are messed up, and we all probably have seen examples of this in like pop culture, in like friends of ours, or maybe you've personally experienced it. Life can be really great, but if I'm alone, like life isn't worth living, it feels like, right? Because like my relationships are all messed up. You know, married people, when your spouse is bad, you're doing bad. You know, it's like the old saying goes, you know, happy wife, happy life. Happy husband, no one the hell cares. Anyway, uh, sorry. Um, but uh, so, yeah, there we go. But conversely, what that means, just making sure you're paying attention. Um, isolation, though, conversely, leads us away from God, okay? Um, first story in the Bible. God creates the world, creates everyone in it, right? First thing when God looks at in the world and he goes, man, something isn't right here. It was when he looked at Adam and he saw Adam is alone. Right? So he creates Eve as like his, his partner you know, through life, that kind of thing. Right? Um, think about, um, think about you know, just kind of like other just areas right? where essentially our isolation leads us away from God. If God has designed relationships to be the stuff of life, then when we are isolated, we feel away from God. Now that happens in a couple of key ways. One of the ways it happens is uh, it primes the pump for decisions that we regret. Okay? Uh, tell me if you've ever seen this plot line in a movie or a TV show before. Husband and wife, they're fighting, they're disconnected at home, and what happens, right? Like, you know, the wife is kind of going in the store, and it's like, oh, my high school boyfriend, right? And I ran into him, or the guy is like at work, and it's like there's a new, new girl that starts at work, right? And like what ends up happening, right? They have an affair or something like that, right? Because when we're isolated, we make stupid, dumb decisions, right? We do things that in the in the plain lie today, we would go, that is, I should not do that. This is a bad decision. This is unwise. Or isolation affects us because we think, 
You know, like we get isolated from the wisdom and information and help of other people. Isn't that true? Like some of the dumbest decisions I've made are the decisions I make on my own, right? That, that, that's, you know, kind of just a sad truth of life. Isolation can also lead us away from God in the sense that it untethers us from reality, okay? Um, you know, when you look at create, like just big recruiting uh, like organizations, when you look at thing, crazy stuff that happens in our world, like ISIS, right? ISIS, primary people they recruit are young, disaffected, isolated young men on the internet, right? When we look at stuff in our world, like the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, I'm going to guess a lot of those people are isolated, disaffected, disconnected, right? Uh, when you see like those crazy kind of religious, you know, Christian fundamentalist groups like protest funerals and that kind of stuff, you know, stuff that like me as a pastor, I get really angry about because it's full of hatred and anger and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you see them do that. No one's ever seen like a fundamentalist religious group and been like, man, you want to talk about people who are like deeply connected to reality? It's that those people, right? The Westboro Baptist Church, they're definitely connected, right? We don't do that. But it's not just like, you know, out there religious groups. It's also like us, okay? Um, a couple years ago, I did a, a uh, wedding, and uh, I had one of the strangest conversations of my life because the mother of the bride, we're at like the cocktail hour after the wedding, but before the reception starts. And the mother of the bride basically kind of like, you know, called me over for a second, and she was like, hey, um, do you think that there are people, like, that there are actually people in our world who are, like, so poor that they don't have any food to eat? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I, can, you, can you ask that question again? Like, I had her re-ask the question, like, three times, because, you know, like, I just could not compute that, like, someone could actually think that's not a thing. I mean, we all live in Tallahassee, right? I'm going to go home and pass three people asking for change on the street corner just on my 10-minute drive home today, right? Like, this is the world, like, seriously, are you so, like, not everyone's part of a country club, you know? Like, that, like what, what's the deal here? But, like, her, it, like, I'm not hateful toward her or whatever. It's just kind of like, hey, I'm so isolated and connected to my little group of people that I just can't comprehend. There's a world outside of me and my perspective and my viewpoint, right? Because isolation leads us away from God and it leads us away from truth and from reality. Uh, one of the ways that isolation also leads us away from God is simply it just takes the life out of life, right? It, like life just doesn't feel so fun and life doesn't feel really that great when I feel isolated, when I feel alone, when I feel like I'm struggling. And that's part of what isolation does to us. Now, when it comes to life, connection is everything. All that's kind of my preamble just to say, this is why we're talking about this over the next three weeks together, is because connection is everything. Connection is key to us experiencing, I think, what God desires for us to get, experience, and know in life. And uh, connected to that, here's the number one enemy of connection. The number one enemy of connection is selfishness. Let's just all say that word together. The number one enemy of connection is selfishness. Good job. Um, selfishness. Now, selfishness is simply my preoccupation with myself, with what I want, with what I desire, with even what I need, you know, like all that kind of stuff. That's all selfishness is. It's me needing to get my way. Here's the question that selfishness asks, which frankly is the most dangerous question we can ask if we want to have connected relationships. It's, what's in it for me? 
Now, that might be a good way to run a business. That might be a good way to like, you know, uh, like that's the foundational principle that economics is built on, you know, like there, there are settings where that's an appropriate question to ask. If you want to have life-giving, connected relationships, that question is not going to help you get there. In fact, it's going to harm you, and it's probably going to hurt you, okay? Now, the challenge is we live in a world that is kind of pushing us toward thinking, well, what's in it for me all the time, okay? Just give you a couple examples. How many of you have had this experience? You're, you know, you're doing some really important social research on this lovely program called Facebook, you know, and you're kind of scrolling through that. You're on Instagram, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, hey, I was just talking to someone the other day about the fact that, I, like, I want to get into running, you know, or whatever it is. And, oh, would you look at that? On the sponsored content, there's, like, se- Nike has, like, an ad for seven types of running shoes right here that I can check out, you know, like, whatever it was. Um, like, a couple months ago, my wife and I's anniversary was coming up. And I did not understand how this happened, but like I'm literally scrolling through my phone and all of a sudden I'm getting like a thousand ads for lingerie companies on Facebook, right? Like, cause it's like, well, you want to spice it up for your anniversary. Like, I don't know how they knew that was coming up, but it was like super weird because I don't recall being like women's lingerie or whatever on my phone. That, that's not how I roll, okay? And so that was kind of like a thing, right? Think about when you like, if does anyone use like Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, you know? Okay, like some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm using it right now, Wes, because this sermon is really boring, okay? Um, when you listen to Spotify, right? I pick a song, you know, and I'm like listening to the song. What does Spotify automatically do for you? It picks another song for you based upon the algorithm of the songs it thinks that you're going to like, right? Because I can't be pressured and, and made to like, you know, do some, some little thing like choose the next song I want to listen to, you know, who would do that, you know, that kind of thing. And so whether you're listening to like, you know, Taylor Swift or Ludacris and everything in between, you know, like it doesn't really matter because like Spotify is going to pick the exact song that you want to pick, right? It's just this little, little subtle thing that says, hey, Wes, you're at the center of the universe. And in fact, I'm going to cater everything just perfectly and completely and, and wonderfully to you, okay? Now, This is not a sermon on like, it's always bad to do things in your self-interest, okay? This is not a sermon on don't have boundaries. This isn't a sermon on you should never say no, you know? This is not a sermon, okay? Those are all important and good things that we sometimes need to do um, to love God and to love other people, okay? What this is a statement though is we live in kind of a culture that's always saying, man, you you are the king of your life. You are the queen of your life. And that is not a helpful way for us to form life-giving relationships. In fact, I would suggest to you that part of the problem that our relationships, according to every kind of psychological study that's done, are going in the tank right now, is in part because we live in a culture that promotes us above everything else. Um, I heard this saying a few weeks ago that I think is so smart. Um, When a fish is in the water, the last person to know is the fish right? Because we're just so surrounded by it. We don't recognize it. Now, the good news is we aren't the first people to have this problem, and we aren't the first people to struggle with selfishness. And so today we're going to look at a couple verses from scripture that talk about that and talk about how we can kind of grow uh, past our selfishness, okay? We're going to look, if you want to read the Bible along with me, we'll have the words on the screen here too, We're going to read from this book called Philippians, okay? Philippians is a letter written to a group of average ordinary people in the church, kind of like ours, written by this guy named uh, Paul. 
first century church leader uh, who played a part in helping to start this church. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, So therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, basically, hey, if Jesus is like important to you whatsoever in your life, listen up, okay? Uh, Next verse, he says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So he kind of repeats this thing of saying, hey, Right now, you guys kind of feel what he's saying is a little bit disconnected. I want to urge and encourage you to be more connected. And he's actually going to show them here in a second. Now, here's what's key to understand about this group of people Paul's writing to. Um, Apparently, the the church in Philippi, this city that he writes to, was really struggling and had like a lot of conflict in their church. And we're not really sure what happened. But here's what we do know. At the end of the letter, uh, the very, you know, kind of last couple paragraphs, here's how Paul writes. He says, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Synctity to be of the same mind in the Lord. He actually uses the very same phrase that he just, that we just read in chapter two to say basically, hey, I'm pleading with these two people to get along to be connected again, because apparently their disconnection was causing a number of problems for this church. Now, maybe we don't know what their disconnection was. Maybe the disconnection was like, who in the heck would name their kids Yodia and Synctity? You know, like that's not exactly great names right there. But whatever the problem was, they apparently were having an issue with being like disconnected from each other. And it was causing a lot of disconnection in the church. And so Paul's going to kind of write about, okay, since everyone's kind of disconnected, since everyone's feeling isolated, since relationships are kind of struggling, I want to talk to you about how we can change that. And here's what Paul says. He says, so do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, Paul, like I, that pretty much is all the stuff I do right there. You know, like that, like, like what am I going to do? If, if Paul says, the first question that should come into my mind is, hey, is this out of a selfish ambition for something I want? Is this because I'm conceited and always thinking to myself? And if my answer is yes to either of those two questions, I should just not do it. I should just like let it go. I should just like put that aside. And because Paul would say, that's not a very good reason to do something. Paul says something that is really arresting and really, uh, frankly, offensive and angering to me. And if you're not offended and angry about it, you don't understand what Paul is saying, I don't think. Because here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, Wes, who are you to always have to get your way? Well, I'm Wes Blackburn, Paul. I'm not sure if you're aware, son of Larry and Terry Blackburn, born March 16th, 1988, raised in Bexley, Ohio. Thank you very much. You know, that's who I am, that I should always get my way. Paul, I have a fancy $80,000 piece of paper buried somewhere in a closet in my house that says I should get my way because I have a degree now, you know, like whatever it is, right? And Paul would say, nope, nope, nope. That, that might be how it works in the world. But if you, I'm just letting you know, if you want connected relationships, that's not going to get you there. Okay, well, what is going to get me there, Paul? Well, let me tell you. Okay, he continues on. He says, rather, here's my suggestion for you. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So, hey, just follow with me here a second, he says. 
How about instead of always having to get your way, you make the focus of your life on helping other people get their way? Well, Paul, that sounds really dumb, frankly. You know, like I don't like that idea at all. Okay, how about this? How about you value others like everyone that you come into contact with, how about you value them as like higher than you? Okay, now that sounds to us like Paul is kind of suggesting that like we have an inferiority complex, okay? The word he uses there is actually like a military word that you would use to talk about or talk to like an officer in the army who outranks you, okay? Here's the image I kind of have in my mind about this. Everyone, when we watch like a TV show or a movie and like there's like a crisis for America, right? And so like everyone's in the situation room and they're all at the table and then the president walks in. And when the president walks in, what does everyone at the table do? They all stand up, right? Okay. And they stand up and they keep standing until the president is seated or until the president's like, hey, everyone take a seat, you know, whatever it is, right? And the reason they do that isn't because they are saying the president, he or she is more like a, a qualitatively a more and better person than I am. What they are doing is they're saying, hey, I understand the president is the commander in chief, right? So we, we stand up when the president walks into the room as a sign of respect for the office that he or she holds, right? As kind of like a sign of deference to them, okay? That's kind of the image of what Paul is saying of how we should act toward other people. That we should have a sort of a natural default of, of deference toward the other people in our lives. Of like, hey, I want to show you the deepest level of respect. That, like, think in your mind of the person who if you met them, you would just be like stunned speechless. Like you, you could just not speak, right? Maybe it's like your favorite musician. Maybe it's like, you know, your favorite athlete. Maybe it's like a, an author you love, you know, I don't know. Like, but someone where if you met them, you're actually kind of like, I don't even want to talk to them because I know if I try to talk to them, I'm going to sound really stupid right now. Like I'm just going to, you know, not be able to say anything very helpful, or very good, you know. That's how Paul, I think, is saying we should treat every person that we come into contact with. That we should, we should value those people. We should treat them like the most revered and honored figure that we could possibly meet. Paul's image of community for us and connection for us is that we as a community, we as followers of Jesus, are so invested in caring well for other people that I don't actually need to worry about my needs being met because I know everyone else in the community is looking out for me the way that I am looking out for them. Now, that may not be true of the world out there, but Paul says that should be true of the world in here. That, that as far as it pertains to us being followers of Jesus, that's the standard. That's what our lives should look like. And then Paul gives us an example that we should aspire to. He says, I want you in your relationships with one another to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, that's a low bar, Paul. Thanks, you know. And then he says, let me, let me tell you specifically how I want you to think about this. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, right? So Jesus is God Nabod. Jesus is God himself. But Jesus never played the God card. 
Jesus never said, well, you know what? That, that donkey might be good for you to ride on, uh, but I am Elohim, Jehovah, Jireh, Yahweh uh, in flesh. So uh, you're going you're gonna to have to, I'm going to need a Camaro right now, you know, like whatever it is, right? No, he never did that, okay? Instead, here's what Jesus did. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, okay? Jesus is born into this world, and he wasn't even born into the best version of this world, okay? Who in this room, who watching online is like, hey, you know what? If I could live during any time of history, you know when I'd want to live? Zero AD, yeah, that's right. No indoor plumbing, uh, no air conditioning, uh, no cars and transportation. That sounds really great. You know, like that's, no, none of us would live there, right? Jesus came from heaven to earth, right? And with all due respect to John Denver, okay, like, you know, heaven's a couple steps above West Virginia and pretty much anywhere else. Definitely a few steps above West Virginia, in my opinion, uh, but definitely a few steps above any time in the world, right? Jesus didn't just come to the, like, Jesus came not just like to a bad point in history. Jesus came like from heaven, right? This is like the ultimate demotion for him, okay? And then it got even worse, Paul says, because here's what Jesus did. Being found in appearance as a man, he decided to humble himself. He decided to put someone else's needs, our needs, humankind's needs ahead of his own by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, right? So none of us is like, hey, Wes, how would you like to die? Well, I was thinking crucifixion would be a great way to go out, you know? Like none of us would think that, okay? This is deeply offend. Like it's not just painful. To Paul's audience, it was offensive. Um, I read this week that actually... Uh, like when you were in like the court proceeding where they would sentence you to death by crucifixion, they actually like made the verb, like the legal verbiage in such a way that the person who was like the foreman of the jury or the judge or whatever, they, would, they wouldn't actually have to say the Latin word for cross because like just the word itself was so offensive to everyone. Like that's how offensive and terrible and painful the cross was viewed to other people, okay? So here's what Paul says. He says, in your relationships, I want you to value the other person, respect the other person. I want you to be focused on their needs, not on your needs. And if you need help to figure out what that looks like, just think about Jesus. Just think about what life was like and how Jesus did this, okay? Here's Paul's big point. Connection starts with you, not me, okay? And when I say connection starts with you, what I don't mean is, yeah, connection starts with you. Like, you need to do all the work, and I reap all the benefit. Nope, that's not what I mean. Connection starts with my mindset, my focus being on you, not on me. Because that's where connection happens. Okay, now this should not surprise us. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where you could tell they just wanted to get something from you? Do you leave that conversation thinking, man, you know what I love about Bob? Bob always is angling to get something from me. I love that about Bob, right? Like when people call our church, this is like the only people who call our church are like salesmen. I never call them back. And you know why I never call them back? Because no, I'm not interested in your new phone system that costs me money. Nope, I'm not interested in helping you meet your bottom line of whatever it is. No, I'm not interested in signing up for the, you know, whatever pledge drive you're doing. Yeah, I don't know, whatever it is, right? Because like, that, that's uh, like, it's you, you're not thinking about me, right? It's just all kind of on you and like, you're trying to sell me something, you're angling for something. I feel like you're trying to take advantage of me, right? 
That's kind of what we do when we make ourselves the focus of our relationships, isn't it? We're, we're basically coming to the other person. It could be your spouse, could be your kids, could be your friends, could be your coworkers, whatever. And we're saying, hey, um, can you give me something? Right? Like, hey, I'm always trying to get something from you, right? And, and those, those aren't really great relationships, are they? Th- those aren't life-giving relationships. And so Paul's advice is, hey, when we, if we want to connect with other people, let's connect on the basis of, of compassion, of empathy, of like, hey, what's going to be good for you? Because that's going to be good for us. And let's make that kind of the mutual attitude that we try to share in all of our relationships. And let's set the example in that. Now, that sounds really nice, doesn't it? That sounds really good. I want to be in relationships like that. Um, I'd like to be in relationships like that where preferably the other person is kind of doing a little more of that than I am probably, right? Okay, but I'm like on board with that kind of relationship. But here's the problem. We have a number of barriers to connecting in that way. And I just tried to come up with a couple of them, okay? Here's barrier one. Barrier one is I'm impatient, okay? Patience I define as going at their pace with grace, okay? I usually get, mostly because I'm forced into it, I get the going at their pace part. I lack the with grace part, okay? It's like, I, okay, I'll do it your way, but I'm not happy about it, right? Like we kind of communicate that. We kind of drag our feet. We kind of make it known like this is, this is inconvenient, right? This is not the way it should be done, right? And I kind of drag my feet and I get impatient. And I don't want to wait and I don't want to take the time and I don't want to, you know, whatever it is, right? I get impatient, right? And that becomes a barrier to connection because surprisingly, people don't want to connect in relationship with someone that's like impatient with them all the time, right? Here's a second barrier. Um, A common barrier for us of connection is we refuse to give empathy and compassion, okay? Empathy and compassion are, I'm going to choose to see life from your side of the street. I'm going to choose actually just for, even for just the briefest of moments, you know what? I'm going to choose to let go of the way I see things so that I might be able to look at life and see things the way that you see things, right? And that's really, really hard for us. Because we kind of feel like, well, what if I don't get my way? Or what if I can't hang on to my opinion? Or what if I get, you know, what, right, right? But we kind of refuse to see stuff from other people's point of view. We get so, so wedded to my way of doing life and to my way of seeing things. And that becomes such a problem that, of course, it becomes all about, well, I'll relate to you, but only as long as you share all of my opinions and viewpoints and whatever else it is that, you know, I have, right? Here's a third barrier. I'm afraid of being vulnerable. Okay, now, this kind of sounds weird because we don't think of our fear to be vulnerable with other people as like a big selfish thing. But here's, here's really what I'm saying when I refuse to get kind of get real and get vulnerable with other people is what I'm really saying is, hey, um, I'm willing to do this as long as you go first, right? You ever notice that? You ever notice when you're having a hard conversation with someone, it's always a lot easier when they say the hard thing first and you get to come like in the wake of that, you know? Like that's a lot easier than you being the one that starts it off, isn't it? That, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of emotional labor. That's a lot of kind of like, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I don't know, you know? Uh, what, like I don't like sharing information about myself that could be like embarrassing or makes me look bad, or sounds petty, or like whatever it is, right? And so I just kind of shut down, 
or I kind of keep it shut down until someone else opens up first and I go. And that's me being selfish, right? Because I'm expecting all the weight for like this hard thing in the relationship to be on you and not on me, right? That's, that's not good, okay? Here's a fourth thing. It's just a good old-fashioned refusal to sacrifice. I want, <laughs> I want my relationships to work in my way, on my time frame, when and how it's convenient for me. Well, that's not really how life-giving relationships work, you know? Like, no mom and dad bring a child into the world and say, okay, little, little boy, little girl, um, mommy and dad, you're going to love you so much as long as you make our lives convenient, Right? If that's your attitude in having kids, please don't have kids. Like, please, like, just save us all the trouble, right? Don't do that, right? Because love and connection relationships don't always make life convenient. In fact, often they make it very inconvenient. Love is very powerful. Love is very meaningful. Love is also very inefficient. What's interesting, though, is all four of those things, Jesus practices them for us. Right? If we want to talk about impatience, could there be a more patient person than Jesus working with the disciples? Right? Like, like Jesus, my favorite story about Jesus is he like does this miracle where he takes a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish and he multiplies them to feed like thousands of people one day. And then the, literally hours later, he and the disciples are in a boat. And Jesus says something about bread and yeast. And the disciples think Jesus is like kind of giving them the side eye and throwing some shade about like, oh, Jesus is angry because we forgot to bring some bread, guys. You know, and Jesus is like, did you not just see what happened an hour ago? Like bread is not a problem when I'm around, right? But like Jesus, at that point, I would just throw all the disciples overboard. I would just be like, oh, how oh, a storm came up and everyone died. Oh, too bad, you know, like whatever, right? Nope, not Jesus. He was super patient. He kept going, right? Jesus was not afraid to empathize and be compassionate, right? When Jesus would heal people, what was noteworthy about Jesus was he wouldn't just like, Jesus, as far as we know, he never did like a group healing, you know? Like he was never like, hey guys, I got like five minutes, so, uh, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, boom, you're all good, right? Like, nope, that's not what he did. Jesus, he would heal people one by one. And I imagine the reason Jesus did that is because he wanted to look you in the eye, he wanted to hear your story. He wanted to touch your shoulder and let you know someone cares. Someone is willing to enter into your pain and share it with you, okay? Jesus was not afraid to be vulnerable. There are a lot of stories in the Bible where Jesus sounds kind of crazy because kind of for much more notable reasons than mine, you know, 10 years ago on a street corner in Cincinnati, Jesus would like yell out to God, be like, God, why is this happening? God, why? You know, like he, he would be emotive, you know, like he, he would like weep openly at funerals and this kind of stuff. Jesus would like, he, he was not afraid when people were letting him down to kind of let him know, let them know how he was feeling, right? Jesus practiced that. And if we want to talk about refusal to sacrifice, Jesus did not refuse to sacrifice, okay? That's exactly what Philippians 2, 2, 7 and 8 tell us. Jesus is more than willing to come down to earth to be made into the image of a man and to die on a cross so that we could be reconnected with God, right? Jesus sets the example to say, hey, if you want to know what unselfishness looks like with skin on, let me show you. Hold, hold my beer a second, right? Let me show you what that looks like, okay? Now, our turn, our challenge this week is to go and do the same. I'm going to ask my lovely assistant, Amanda, to help me out here, okay? 
Amanda is going to pass all of us our next step for this weekend. So Amanda will hand these out. Uh, Amanda, will you go row by row and pass those out for us? Okay. Here's your next step. Amanda's got a little car. I've created a card. Okay. This is like super official now. And it has our logo on it and everything. So this is like, this is super official, guys. Okay. Okay. Here's your next steps. On your card are three challenges for you. Okay. And here are the three challenges. Let them pick, listen to their story, help without being asked, okay? And I actually want you, by the time that we reconvene here next Sunday morning, to have done all three of these things with someone this week. They don't even have to be the same someone if you don't want it to, okay? But let me explain these really quickly, okay? I want you to let them pick. So it could be, where are we going for lunch today after church? It could be, what movie are we watching when the kids are put to bed? It could be, hey, would you rather do dishes or would you rather be on bath time duty with our kids? It could be, hey, are we going to, you know, study right now? Are we going to get, whatever it is, right? Anytime there's a choice to be made with you and another person, I want to challenge you to let them pick, okay? Second thing I want to challenge you is listen to their story, okay? And what that means is when someone, like, we have opportunities every day where often someone is trying to tell us their story. They're trying to tell us how they felt. They're trying to tell us what happened and what went on. They're trying to tell us something important to them and they want us just to listen. But what I do is I'm like, oh yeah, I'd, oh yeah, tell me more about that. You know, as I'm like, oh, looking at my phone, right? Or I'm like, I'm partially listening and partially watching the basketball game that's on, right? Or I'm doing whatever it is. And in fact, Listen to their story means I'm actually going to set aside whatever is occupying my time and I'm going to make you the only thing that occupies my attention in this moment. And the third thing is I'm going to help without being asked. I'm going to see a need that someone in my life has and I'm just going to step in and do what I can to meet that need because that is what Jesus would want us to do. Connection begins when our focus is on you, not on me. That feels very counterintuitive, but Jesus, the Son of God, the one who practiced this and the one who seems from all, in, you know, viewpoint that I have reading the scriptures, seem to have a pretty healthy relational life. If we will follow in his footsteps, I believe the same can be true about us. Uh, I have three discussion questions for you this week to use in our small groups and stuff or use around your dinner table this week. And here they are. Uh, you can get them online when we post a sermon online, uh, like noon today or whenever that is. Uh, discussion question number one is, on a scale from one to ten, how connected do you feel to others in general in your life? And why do you think that is? Question number two is, do you think, <laughs> this is a real fun question, do you think you're a selfish person? Why or why not? And something tells me if you have someone who you're married to or dating, this question becomes a lot more truthful when you answer it in the small group. So question three, which of the three challenges on your little card are the most difficult for you? Or maybe there's another area where you struggle to step away from selfishness and just uh, talk about that this week. Um, this is the way forward, guys. This, this is the way in which I think we can have more connected relationships, but it requires an entire shift in our mindset. It requires in us uh, the, kind of, the kind of unselfishness that says, hey, 
and my engagement with other people, I'm not going to be focused on me. I'm going to be focused on you. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? Bree is going to lead us in one last song together, and uh, then we'll get out of here this morning.